The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Swingers, welcome to another edition of the Just Swinging It podcast. Today is Thursday, and we are live on the Pivotal Trading YouTube channel, which means we have a very special guest. This is a guest we've been talking to for a while, um, getting him ready to come on the show. And tonight is the night he's he's coming on the show. It's a real interesting um, cat, so to speak, and um, with a lot of experience, a bird lot of knowledge. Rather. Yeah, bird rather, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. So this. Um, should be a great conversation, and um, yeah, it should, should be a pretty great conversation. He's kind of similar um, to Fat Baby Funds on how he trades. He does buy a lot of stuff for the future and weights, but he also trades as well. He plays with options some, so it, he's a real um, he's got a real good bag of, of tricks in there. So should be a good conversation. Um, he is in the queue, so we can you know go ahead and get get straight started. What's going on? Can you hear us? Hey guys, how you doing? Doing good. How about you? Not bad. Good. How was the tri- How was the trip here from the Amazon? Ha <laughs> It was good. It was good. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm Chris. I'm joined here by um, John. So it's it's nice to have you come on the show tonight. I appreciate the invite, guys. Sorry it took so long to get this figured out. Oh, that's uh, fine. No problem. Works out perfect. Um, we just had a big live show on Tuesday, so it, you know the listeners get even more of a treat tonight. We are live on YouTube, and but we'll also be putting this out as our normal podcast for Friday mornings. But um, I mean, with that, you know, we we'll get started. Uh, before we get into your trading styles and things you like to do, I, I think the the best thing for us to do would be talk about you know. It's your pinned tweet on on Twitter. It's very interesting, and um, I'd really like to hear more about you know how um, how you um, manage through the situations, the emotions that happened, and um, you know to get you back where you are today because you're doing pretty good. But um, just to read it out, um, so the stock parrot basically had you know 15 plus years of putting money in a 401k. He traded for four years in Robinhood. He watched, he says he watched his IRA underperform for two years. So he basically wanted to take control of his finances because he felt like he could do better than what it was currently happen, happening. He put um, 
$550,000 into a TD Ameritrade account on February 21st of this year. And if people don't remember, the very next week is when the market crashed because of COVID. So that's um, kind of the worst timing possible for you. But um, yeah, how, how'd you get through that? How'd you, um, how were you able to manage that situation? What emotions, um, you know, was happening at that, that point in time? Because that, that really sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really sucks. Um, it, you know, it's probably even worse than that because I, when I, there's a, if you remember, there was a little bit of a run up uh, up to that drop, and I had been waiting on the, that account to fund for about three weeks, and so I'd spent that three weeks, you know, diligently figuring out where I'm going to invest that money. Um, as you can imagine, I'm, you know, just obsessed over where I'm going to put it. You know, how will my allocation is going to be? And um, I finally get it uh, funded. It was like a Thursday, I believe. So Friday morning, I put all that money in there. Um, I invested probably about 80% on Friday. And then Monday, we all know what happened. Um, so, so my first reaction was obviously trying to average down the, uh, you know, the first, the first week or so while I still had that 20%, but it went, it went pretty quick because <laughs> um, uh, we kept dropping there. So um and really how I managed it, I, I basically just turned off the screen. I almost didn't look at the account for about a month. <laughs> um, there's not much else you can do at that point. I was full, almost fully invested um, and just knowing I don't want to sell at the bottom. Uh, so just hold on tight and, and see what happens. Um, a lot of those positions, original positions were index funds, um, ETFs, um, things like that. And so as the market turned, um, that's when I just decided I, I sold a lot of those funds for losses, but um, I was able to get into some you know, higher growth companies and, and make it back pretty quick. So, Yeah, and I think that's um, one of the sort of things that, you know, as you saw yourself to just turn off the screen, that was a situation that's kind of unprecedented. I feel like most people, you know, probably didn't. A lot of companies, their stock dropped way down, but it, it was companies that you know, this isn't going to zero. As soon as this is over, those are, you know, that will come back up. Like there's major, there were major companies that dropped a lot. That's definitely not, wasn't going to go bankrupt. And it, you know, it helped me out some too with that, that big market drop, you, you know, able to load up on a lot of them growth companies and kind of, you know, ride that back up. But yeah, you seem to be um, back on track and doing pretty, pretty good this year. Um, the start out, can you um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, your trading style? I know it's a little more, mostly maybe long-term, but also, you know, some longer term swings in there. I know you, you know, every once in a while you post about some options, that sort of thing, but can you walk us through, you know, your strategy as far as like how you look at things and, you know, things you would like to trade? Sure. So um, for the account I mostly post about, that's more my, it's my long-term account, but I also, again, put some kind of long swings in there. Um, you know, like CCL and um, uh, you know, Twin Carnival and um, you know, Save and a, a few of those uh, that I'm planning on selling, for, you know, next year. I don't plan on holding them forever. Um, I do have a, a couple of smaller um, kind of cash accounts, like I'll play accounts, whatever you want to call them, then I'll, I'll buy some options and stuff. And um, I've actually haven't been doing much, haven't been posting much about those the last two months because they've been killing me. And <laughs> so I don't know about y'all, but I've been doing pretty bad in those accounts the last two months. Um, but basically my, my philosophy, I mean, I'm looking for growth still, but I'm still trying to preserve capital too. Um, so 
I'm looking at at the growth stocks, but I'm also I'm I'm not as uh, I'm not as interested in doubling up every year like some of these uh, some of these guys that are posting you know these crazy gains. Um, we'd all love to have them, but I also I don't want to lose 50% in a you know in a weekend. So um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Again, I was I was mostly in I would probably 30 to 50% in and in, uh, index funds, ETFs, mutual not mutual, but uh, you get the idea. Um, and I've slowly, I think the only one I have now is, is ArcW, which is killing it. I wish I had all my money in ArcW. I'd be <laughs> a lot better. Yeah, that normally, how, normally is how it um, goes. I had a, a bunch of money in. Um, once PIN dropped down to, you know, $3, I, I loaded up on that. So that was, that's been pretty nice this, this year. So I've, I've made some yeah. pretty decent calls. A PIN was one of them recently. I, I bought like the day before earnings and I made like a 30% gain in, in a day um i ended up selling that that trade some of those trades that i've wanted to get in long term but if i make such a massive move right away i'll end up getting out of it just because i don't want to give back those gains and i'll find another place for them yeah same with me that's kind of what happened um in pen you know um after their second earnings it went up real fast to like 45 so i was like well I need to get out here and they'll probably fall back you know to 40 or so i'll get back in for when their sports book came out and it never really fell. So I think I got back in about 40, 47 and then, you know, got out probably like 60 and then it kept going up. So, um, but yeah, the option, um, you, you said you made some money on an option call and pin those I, I normally have, um, you know, even though I did well with the stock, I normally had trouble out of those. It seems like their premium, the premium in pin is real high and then it gets, it gets yanked out. So you have to have a ridiculous move to really, you know, make any money as compared to some others. Yeah, I had a, um, I, I've actually made a massive move on, uh, I'm trying to think of the stock now, it's terrible because I ended up trading a lot in that account, but it was a, um, a biofarm company that made a massive move. I ended up making like three or 400% on, but um, that account had, um, I started out with $1,000 in one of those accounts and it, it went up to 5,000. I'd made a, a pretty big move in a sh pretty short time. But um, that account now in the last two months, there was about two months ago, all the all the premiums kind of just got killed, all the volatility and stuff got killed and and everything dropped. And I, I think I'm back down to about 2000 that account still up. But, you know, um, but again, that's just a play account for me. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of our strategy here. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly look at, you know, individual stocks and equities. John, you know, he trades more, you know, futures and like derivative products like the US dollar stuff like that but we we normally do the um you know try to sell premium so instead of buying the options we we do a lot more of you know selling the options and collecting when the premium you know comes back down right now it's pretty good time for that or it was until this week when um volatility kind of got pulled out but this year with vol up so so high it's been a pretty good time to you know just sell the premium because if you just Hold it long yeah. enough, that's going to get ripped out. Um, but yeah, so you said that you had money in a 401k for, you know, 15 years. And then, so when you started trading on Robinhood, was that, you know, that was that your first um, start to learning how to trade? I assume your 401k was probably with, um, you know, was traded for you. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have the option to trade individual stocks in my 401k. I, there was actually a couple of 401ks in there, but um, uh, so it was, you know, you get to pick the fun, but, you know, you, you have limited options there. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, the, Robinhood was the first time I've actually traded individual stocks. And for the first, really, this year was the first time I'd started trading options. So before then, it was all just stock trades. Yeah, when you started in Robinhood, did you start out kind of small to learn or did you, you know, go for it right out the gate? <laughs> um, it was probably pretty small at the beginning. Um, I uh, trying to remember when it was I started, but it, uh, it had pretty, pretty good success at the beginning. Um, so I pretty much played, played from ahead. So I was able to kind of be a little bit riskier than, than maybe uh, otherwise I would have been. But um, so, yeah, it, it was, uh, anyway, I don't know. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And then you, um, you mentioned your IRA underperforming and you wanted to take control. I see a lot of people wanting to do that right now, which is why, um, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you onto the show because you're someone who was under that mindset that, hey, some I've been put, investing money, but I've been investing it, you know, at this company or whatever company. And I feel like it hasn't been performing at the rate that I could do myself if I learned how to do it. So I feel like that's a going theme right now and people are starting to learn um, that, hey, you can learn how to do it yourself. And it's probably, you know, when you're doing it, it's your money. So you're more in invested in it you're more you know it, it means more to you than you know when you give it to one of these companies where it's just like this it goes here it goes here and then they don't really care as much so um yeah yeah i mean the um for for me it was a i had a 401k that was doing fairly well um with, with the company i was with when i left that company i actually rolled it over into a a managed ira with uh, with the same company um and kind of expected I'd have a similar performance. Um, it was, as you saw, it was a fairly large account. And so I thought I'd get a little bit of, um, I won't say special treatment, but they'd at least pay attention to me. Um, and they, uh, I, I didn't get that. And they ended up putting it in a, a bunch of, you know, company funds uh, that just really didn't do anything. I mean, the last two years have been crazy growth. And I think I made um, basically 10% in the last two years before I switched out. And, and you know what the market's done in the last, you know, the last two years before, before COVID. So um, it was just, it was wildly under, underperforming. Um, and honestly, I'd been wanting to do it for a while. And my wife was a little bit more hesitant than I was. Um, and so it took me some convincing to, to make that happen. Uh, she's just worried that um, I feel like maybe a lot of people that, you know, you're going to, invested in the wrong spot and lose it all. And there goes your, your retirement. So. Yeah. So my wife's, my wife's kind of the opposite of that. Um, we still have our 401k. So the, or we have a separate, you know, IRA and investing account and stuff um, separately, but we still have a 401k. That's always just, you know, just leave that alone, let Fidelity do it. But um, she's one of the people who is, you know, just go ahead and invest it as long as I don't have to hear about it. I don't want to know what's going on. So that's funny. Cause that's, that's my wife too. She doesn't, she doesn't want to even hear about the gain. She doesn't want to know if it's going up or down or um, once in a blue moon, like today, I'll probably tell her that I made 30 grand and she, uh, she probably won't be happy because just cause she knows that tomorrow it might be down 50. So um, yeah, yeah that's it, a, she just doesn't want to know. Just, just close my eyes and don't tell me about it. Yeah, that's the same response I get. If I make a, you know, a couple of good trades and had a good day, she'll like, how'd your day go? And I'll be like, oh yeah, I had a great day in the market and made this. And um, she'll be like, 
yeah, but did you really make that? Or are you just up that? Like, <laughs> yes. Is that like actual money or what? And then she'll, she'll ask about stuff and I'll explain it to her. And then, um, then later she'll ask about it. that she asks it probably. <laughs> yeah. She'll be, she'll, she'll ask about like a call or something. I'll explain it. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'll mention that. She's like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, we had a whole discussion about this last <laughs> week, but <laughs> yeah. so that's why, that's why I have John here to talk about, um, trading with those. She's on. I mean, yeah, honestly, that's why. <laughs> That, that's really why I started this account. I mean, it's because I didn't have any, I don't have anybody at home to talk to about it. Um, and so, you know, I, I was, I started, it's kind of interesting. I started posting a little bit on my personal account, obviously not, not the actual dollars, but some of my trades and um, the company that I work for, I actually made a, I was making a, a trade in their, their stock and their Twitter account followed me. And I was like, Oh, this might be a bad idea. Uh, to to be posting <laughs> because uh, their stock's not doing real well right now, by the way. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of what what started me to to start this account so that I could just be kind of out there, blunt, show what it is, and, and talk to people and not have to worry about it again. Why I'm anonymous on on this call too. So, yeah. So you um, you may know more about it. That's one of the things I don't know much about. So the company I work for has a stock too. And it's actually done pretty good, but I haven't traded it because I didn't want to get into the, you know, the weeds with like, okay, am I allowed to buy it at this point? Or do I need to fill out this? When you look it up, some places say you need to fill out a form when you're buying things and stuff like that. So I've kind of stayed away from it, but do you have any insight on, on that? I mean, it's, it's been pretty good. It's, it's power PWR. Um, yeah, it really just depends on how far up, how high up you are in the company, and if you yeah, so have. Our, so the way the company works is we actually have like a mothership company that has a bunch of smaller companies under it. So we're really not, but I, you know, it's one of the things I've just stayed away from it since we do have this podcast. We're posting stuff on online and stuff. I didn't want to, you know, people to say, oh, he works for this company and he said he likes this stock. We should go buy that, and then. You know, you never know what happens with that. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, uh, I'm in the oil and gas industry, so you know how that's doing right now. So, um, you know, it, I, as long as you're not trading, I mean, as long as you're not trading on insider information. So if you don't know something and trade the day before they announce you know, earnings or announce something, you should be okay unless you're part of the um, the you know, executive management team. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the thing. So I'm like, uh, I'm a geotechnical engineer or whatever. I don't really necessarily understand what, you know, the SEC classifies as insider information. Like, you know, if we put out a bid on a, a major pro a project that's, you know, 3,000 transmission line structures, um, is that insider information? Probably, but... Yeah, also probably. not really i don't know anything about the the money side of it so it's it's like i know this is a huge prod a project but i don't know how much money we're making from it yeah it's, that, that would probably be that's probably borderline but if you knew you were about to get the contract and it wasn't public knowledge then that would be definitely insider trade yeah so that's why i've stayed just completely stayed stayed away from i've, I've stayed away from that industry as a whole there's a you know the whole industry so basically we design foundations for transmission lines so Okay. But um, you said you was in the oil and gas industry, and I, I think you said you watched part of our election show the other day. Um, was, was you watching the part where we had actually my dad on? Because 
he works in, you know, he builds mining equipment, coal and that sort of stuff and the natural resources. So that's pretty much why we brought him on to talk about, about that in part. Yeah, two, yeah. I, I was, I did watch it. It was, it was a good show. I watched almost all of it. Well, we appreciate that. But, uh, but getting back to, to trading um, or investing, you know, if you're, if someone comes to you and asks for advice about their, they want to, um, you know, take control of their finances, kind of how um, you did, you know, what, what would you say to them? Like, how would, you know, you would su suggest this to get started or, you know, maybe move slower, what, whatever it is, what, what kind of advice would you say if someone came to you looking for your knowledge and, um, you know, doing that? I mean, not knowing somebody's specific situation, I think um, just in general advice would be to, you know, start, uh, just get started um, and, you know, start with the ETF or an index fund, um, start, just to start small, you know, put, take 10% of it and put in, you know, pick a stock or two and, and try to start trading small. Um, the, the one advice I give a lot of people, you know, I get a lot of DMs and one of the advice I give them is just, is always to, to, um, average in you know even even on my trades that i even if i want to go to a full position in a, in a single day i'll still average in i'll still buy it over you know throughout the day uh, just from the swings in the market you just never know um so i always try to tell people to, to average in on their positions um and uh, i break that rule every once in a while and usually regret it but <laughs> um but just that and then just do your, do your research um you know, it's funny, I was thinking about it before I got on this call, whenever I, I first started, I probably did more research uh, the, the two or three weeks before my account funded than I have since then. So um, I, I just did a ton of, you know, scans and looking for looking for what I wanted to invest in. But after I got there, now it's, it's, it's much more dynamic now. I don't, I don't really do a lot of uh, scans for new, new companies to invest in. Honestly, I get a lot of ideas from Fintwit, man. It's just, yeah, you see if somebody post about something, I'll go look them up and then start researching them based on that. And um, I, I get almost all my ideas that way now um, versus trying to go find some unique stock that nobody's talking about. Yeah, and um, we've had quite a few guests on the show. And, you know, we've heard a couple of times people, you know, are kind of against that. And, you know, you hear people giving advice a lot of times, like don't take, um, don't look at stocks on Twitter or do or whatever. And I don't think that's necessarily the case because, you know, when you're thinking about yourself, you know, you may only think about a handful of stocks. You have your watch list or whatever. Those are the stocks you're looking for when, you know, if you have a strategy and it's working, you can find opportunity like our strategy for the premium. We want high ID. It really doesn't matter what the company is, you know, for those trades. Now for long-term investments, it matters a little bit more, but, Sure. You know, it, it more matters, you know, is the IV highs, the IVR high, stuff like that. Um, but what I would say about that is, you know, I think it's fine to get ideas from, you know, Twitter or wherever else, and then follow that up with the research. Like, you know what I'm saying? I may see someone post on Twitter about this stock that I've never heard of, and that may trigger me to go look it up. And now when I look it up, I might be like, oh, okay, I, I don't like that one. That's not for me. But or I may find like, oh yeah, this is a great opportunity or whatever. So, you know, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, don't do that, but I think there's value in it, but I still think, you know, it's, you got to figure it out. Once you see someone post it, you don't just blindly go into the trade, go look it up, you know, yourself and do your yeah. little 
your own research in there. Um, you kind of mentioned now how you did a lot more research before um, you invested money. I, I would say that's probably because you had, you know, you had to figure out where all that money was going. It was blank, but you yeah. had all this money. So it had to go somewhere. Um, nowadays, besides, um, you know, just seeing, you know, a post or get an idea from someone, you know, what stocks are, how do you find, um, how do you decide what to trade? Is that just, you know, are you looking at certain industries? Are you, um, do you, like we had a long-term investor, which a lot of time on the other, on I guess the election show, he's been on the show before, but um, Colin, even though he's a long-term investor, he still looks at like RSI and stuff like that to make sure he's getting a good price. Um, how do you decide, um, you know, when to, to make a trade? or when to add to a position? Yeah, I'm probably uh, not as, my, my, I probably don't have the same or a, a detailed system like a lot of guys on here do. Um, I probably run off a gut feel more than I should. Um, uh, I mean, for instance, uh, PayPal this week, um, I, I, I bought it, I think uh, it, it had, uh, what was the earning? I can't, I can't remember the day, I guess it was this on Tuesday. It was down, it had a good earnings. It, it, it kind of tanked on earnings originally. And um, I just, I had, it's been on my watch list for a while. I'm a big investor in Square. Um, so uh, I, it just looked like an opportunity. So I, I added some shares at 175. I think it's at 190 or so now. So, and it's just a few days. Um, I just try to look for opportunities where, you know, there's some really good news out there. Stocks drop for whatever reason. And you know, a lot of times it tends to work out, you know, just, you know, they say, they joke about buy the dip, everybody's buy the dip, but you know, it's true. If, if, if everything looks good and it's down, it's a good time to buy. So. So another question, <laughs> another thing, a lot of, um, you know, investors talk about is like a lot of people who don't trade or first starting out, they think you have to have this massive, you know, portfolio with, you know, a hundred, 200, when most people who have traded a while say to have, you know, less than that so you are actually able to keep up with it how many stocks are like or positions do you have in um, your portfolio are you do you like um some people like having the massive ones and some people like you know 30 or 40 that they can you know really keep control of yeah so i think ideally for me i think i would like 30 but i uh, around that number um i i, I just recently had 50 <laughs> Um, and, and actually trimmed it, uh, trimmed those down on Friday. I had a lot of little kind of speculative positions that, um, you know, the, some of those worked out, but the, the, the more, the more you get kind of thinned out, I, I'll tend to, when I start a trade, I'll tend to, to, um, start it kind of small. So usually 1% is kind of my one to 2%, depending on my conviction is kind of my target, um, you know, uh, base, you know, starting position. Um, but a lot of times I'll do like a half a percent or even a third percent to just kind of monitor, watch the trade, um, keeps me interested because it's on my watch list. I may not see it um, or might not see it move. So I, I'll, I'll tend to add more of those small trades just to kind of watch them and um, it, it, it can get kind of stretched out. So that's, you know, when the market was kind of being wild the last couple of weeks, I started thinning those out and, and just getting out of them. Most of them were pretty even or even some, I had a couple that were pretty good gains, 30% gains, but they were such small positions. It was either, I either needed to add more to it or I needed to get out of it because I just didn't, didn't have time to watch it for, for, you know, $5,000. So um, it just didn't make sense. 
Yeah, so on the, on the same subject to that, um, I think it's pretty, would be pretty clear to most people as far as like how to add, like when to add, you know, new positions if you see something you like. What about when, how do you decide when to add to your like current positions? Like, you know, say this time you have this amount of money on the side, you're ready to invest it. How, what makes you decide to say if you have 30 positions that I want to add this amount to this one or instead of buying this new one, do you have a decision-making process there or is it just kind of, you know, wing it? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not totally winging it, but I, I don't know that the process is uh, something I can explain necessarily. Uh, you know, I, I keep track of all of them. You know, conviction is built over time. Uh, you start a position, you kind of build that conviction with, you know, with your portfolio, you know, owning it a while and understanding it. Um, you know, SE is my largest position. Um, uh, and I've actually just recently almost doubled the position. It's by far my largest position now. Um, what was that? What was your largest position? C, C Limited. Okay. Um, so, and, and basically I decided, I, you know, I decided it was about time to add cause I, I know it's going to 200. It's probably going to a thousand at some point. Um, and so I started adding, um, I actually added a little bit at the high before the dip. Um, but then I, I added, I kept adding on the way down because it's just a position that I feel really good about it being um, a great growth position. Same thing with square. I mean, I, everywhere I go, all these mom and pop shops and stuff, they all have the square machines now. I mean, almost everybody has a, a square payment. Um, now you don't see a lot of the old school, you know, Visa payment centers or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just, I feel like I, I want that to be a larger position in my portfolio. Um, I kind of compare it uh, to the rest of my portfolio and look at, you know, position size. At one point, about, about 30 grand, I think was uh, my top, position. So I kind of based it off of that. Um, you know, I want my top, you know, five, six, seven positions to be close to the same um, percentage of my portfolio. And um, what is the percentage? I'm sorry. What percentage do you, um, you said for your top positions, what percentage is it that you like? Um, well, at the time, it's probably about 5% or so. So um, that's that's about what I was carrying for my top positions. I think um, C Limited was about seven percent. Now C, I've, I've actually bumped up to twelve percent, or after today's run, it might be higher than that. But um, uh, so that yeah, I'm actually looking at that company right now. Um, it looks like there's a lot of opportunity in there as far as um, the implied volatility was pretty high in there. Yeah, so Square earnings, it's it's high because their earnings were, was this afternoon. Well, I, was, I was talking about uh, C Limited. Is that? Oh, the, I, I thought you were talking about Square. Okay. Is is that what you were talking about, Parrot? Yeah, C Limited um, is the one I moved to twelve percent. Yeah, I just I recently added to to Square, C Limited, uh, Roku. Um, now, what is C Limited? I, I have no, I'm not a stock guy, so I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, they're uh, they're they're out of Singapore. They actually started as a, a gaming company that I don't know, I can't even pronounce it, Guru Garan or whatever. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It looks like uh, they just uh, went up like a, a whole lot in the last week or two. Yeah, they had a little dip, and then they've they've really added on the last couple of days. Really, um, they uh, their earnings I don't think till are till the end of the month, but they uh, November seventeenth. Yeah, so they 
they're just growing everywhere. I mean, it seems like every time I turn around, they're doing, they're doing more. They're in, they're into payments. They're, they're basically a, a shop and a, an Amazon or a, a square and a gaming company kind of all rolled into one. Um, and they've got a huge market over in the, um, you know, the, that area, the Singapore area. Um, they're moving into India. They're actually moving into Brazil. One of the, one of the reasons why I, I decided to go ahead and get out of Melly is because they're, they're kind of encroaching on them a little bit um, and just decided to put all that money in C. Um, so uh, that's, you know, the, the one thing they also have pending is um, a bank, banking license. So if they end up getting the banking license, uh, I, I think it's really going to shoot up. I think that's probably the next catalyst to really for the next big jump for them. Yeah, it seems like if they're moving into, um, you know, India and a bunch of different con countries, that, it seems like a, a company that could get um, humongous because, you know, there's so many, it's reaching so many people rather than, you know, just a, you know, a company in the U.S. that kind of reaches the U.S., but well, and their market's like, I, I believe I read it's, it's 60 or 80% or it's like 60% unbanked and 80% underbanked. Um, and so they, with their payments, uh, it's called C-Money um, with their payments uh, division. And then they're not making really any money in it right now, but they're just growing, um, growing their, uh, their user base right now. But uh, if they get their banking license too, where they can actually start cashing checks and doing all that, then um it's kind of a, its own little its own little universe of um, supply and demand and the whole the whole finance chain all in one company. Yeah, I mean, I have to look into it. It, it seems pretty cool. Um, you mentioned Square. I guess their earnings were today, and they're they're pretty good. It kind of shot way up and then kind of you know steadied a little bit. But you got to be feeling pretty good at, on that one and Roku actually. Yeah, they all they all did great today. T, uh, TTD did great today. Um, they had a great earnings today as well. Um, I, I wish I had more of uh, TTD. Uh, I only have about twenty five shares. Um, it's one of those that you know it's either it was either sell or add, and I couldn't decide, so I just held what I had, and um, it turned out good. I'm, I mean, I'm glad it's up, but uh, I think they went up a hundred dollars after hours. Everyone had a good earning, like even GoPro, I think, went up like 12 or 15%. It's a cheap, you know, it's a cheap stock, so that's not that much of a move, but, you know, it had a 15% move on earnings, and it's, you know, been nowhere, basically. But, yeah, the, the Square and Roku, I actually put on an earnings play in both of those right at the, you know, the last 30 minutes. I, I sold an, I did an Iron Condor in both. And my strikes where the volatility is so high, the strikes were like so far, like it was way past the expected move and, you know, still received quite a bit of credit. They kind of settled right, right down the middle. So those should pay out pretty good for me just in the morning, right. just, just on the little, you know, earnings trade. Um, but that's how you get in. So like, what about getting out? So like a lot of times you talk to longer term investors, you know, a lot of times I feel like, um, different from traders and you you kind of do both so i think you'll have a little bit better handle you know than some of the people you talk to when people buy stock looking to hold it you know for 20 30 years they have you know they have that in your head what what um how do you decide when to get out because you know you may get in thinking you're gonna hold this 20 30 years but you know say we have a move like we we've had this year where you know it may hit the price target that you thought it could get to, 
and that's only been five years or 10 years, I feel like people sometimes want to hold it longer just because it's a long-term investment. But how do you decide when, okay, this one, it's made me the money I think it can make for me. My capital is better off elsewhere or, you know, that's the top. How do you decide when to get out? What do you look at? It's always tough. Um, I do have you know, uh, price targets that I try to hit. And usually when I don't sell, I regret it. Um, and that's usually what ha happens but a lot. you probably so. also regret when you do sell sometimes. I, absolutely. I mean, Upwork is up like 50% today, 40% today. Um, I trimmed it last week when it hit 20 or maybe a week, maybe two weeks ago when it hit 20. Um, I've been in since 12. Um, I trimmed, you know, and today I'm kicking myself. You know, I still have a lot, uh, a lot of it, but uh, I'm still kicking myself. I could have, you know, could have made another uh, three or four grand a day or whatever it was. So, um, so yeah, I'm always, but, but at the same time, if it drops down back down to 12 or 15, then I'd, I would have been mad if I didn't sell it at my target. So um, typically what I'll do is if I still like the company, when I hit my target, I'll reevaluate it, look at it and I'll usually trim. Um, that's actually what, uh, what I did with TTD. Um, it wasn't a lot, but you know, I trimmed, I had 30 shares and whenever it hit 600, which was my original price target, you know, I just trimmed five shares, um, just trim a little bit and then change my price target. Now I've got another decision to make. I've hit it again, just after, after hours, I hit my next price target. So we'll see what I see what we got to do there. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really um, just when you hit the target, you need to reevaluate. Don't just, just go off of momentum or, or kind of, people get FOMO, but they also get the other way too, where they just can't let go of it. Um, and then, then you can't, uh, you, know, you chase it or, or you don't sell it in time and you, you want to go back and hit that high. I think what I really do more than anything, I sell more to invest in other stuff um, than I do any other reason. Um, I'll trim some here and there when I hit a price target, but, or to reduce risk if I think it's, you know, way oversold or overbought. Um, but um, more often than not, I, I'll be, I'll sell because I, I found an opportunity I want to invest in. And so I go, I go look at my least, least convicted position and uh, go sell it. And regardless of where it's at, uh, to invest with what I want, what I invest in. So. Yeah. So you was talking about a price target. Um, how do you determine um, your price targets? Is that just kind of, you know, look at um, it or is it, is there like um, any calculations you do where it's like, it's at this if it goes to here, that's, you know, 200%, 300% or, or whatever. Yeah. How do you really, determine those? Yeah. It depends on the trade. Um, and, and we're, and then the history, you know, a growth stock's a little bit harder because um, it hasn't been at those prices before, you know, you're looking to, uh, to see. So, so it's really where you think you can, where you think you can get in, in whatever time frame your, your, you know, your investment cycle is. So um for for some of the swing trades and stuff it's more about you know where so for ccl for example i think the high was 45 um i, I bought it around 15 so my target there's around 30 right? right kind of right in the middle um i don't need to go all the way back up to highs um but you know it still doubles my money so it, it's more kind of a, a look at where the stock's been where you think it can be in the next year or so and um and kind of establish a target. Now, once it hits 30, you know, if we're back up and running again, everything's uh, opened up, maybe I keep it, maybe I keep a percentage of it, but um, that's kind of how I set my original, my first price target. Yeah, I think that's one of the hard things um, right now with some of these growth stocks when, you know, if it's a new company you're getting into and you, you click on it and 
It has a 52 week low of $15 and it's currently trading at $350. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to like know whether that that's a good stock to be in or not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So usually I, I get in those very slowly. So that's what you know, I average into those very slowly um, for that reason. Yeah. A couple of you know, just opportunity. Honestly, I get into a lot of stocks off of opportunity. You know, we had a bunch of big runs on IPOs and uh, you, for example, um, it, it opened its IPO and it was a really red week and it just didn't move. It kind of set at the IPO price for the first day or two. Um, and so I, I bought that really because every IPO that opened had ran and that one didn't because we were on a big red day. Um, and then ended up now, I think I'm up 20 or 30, 20, 25% from, from that price now. But I really didn't know a lot about the company when I got into it. Uh, I researched it a little bit more since then. I like them now a little bit long-term, but you know, if it runs up another you know, 50%, I'll probably sell at least some of it to, to reduce some of that exposure. And when did that, when was um, the IPO for that? uh let me look let's see when i bought it um it was september 22nd when i bought it and i added to it on the 23rd so yeah so the one thing to keep um keep a look on there is um you know the lockup period and when does the lockup period in so sometimes yeah. sometimes they then ipos they they run up and then that lockup period ends and it's so high, all the, the insiders dump their stock for, you know, such a big gain and then it crashes it up. There's been so many IPOs in history that run up right away and then get cut in half. Um, and then you have situations kind of like that snowflake situation. I think everyone wanted to get into that and then it opened, you know, it opened like $150 above the IPO. It ran all the way up to like 320 and if you got filled in an order, you know, someone wasn't paying attention, did a market order instead of a limit order right there, um, you could have got filled real high. And then by the, about an hour later, it was at like 2.30. So. Yeah, I've still got an alert, I think, set for 200 on that one. If it ever gets below 200, I'll look at it again. <laughs> yeah, now long term, I think that Snowflake is probably going to be a pretty good, good company. But there are so many people interested at the IPO and you know, willing to pay whatever price. And it was like, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Yeah, there's, it's a lesson you got to learn. But I mean, I've, there's a lot of companies that I'd like to be in that I just, I just don't, you know, I just won't get in it. I mean, it's, I, I don't even want to say the name because I'll probably get some hate mail off of that. But, um, you know, it's like Tesla, though. I mean, I, I like the, uh, I like the company, but there's, there's no way I'm going to invest in it at the today's evaluation uh, or valuation. There's just, I just can't make myself do it. Yeah, definitely not. Because one thing people, you know, you get when you say stuff like that to people, their answer will be, well, Tesla will probably go to 800 or 1000 or whatever it is. And well, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe you will double your money over time. But if you're pretty sure that you can get, you know, a $50 cheaper price or $75 cheaper price, if you just wait a couple months, then, you know, why not wait? You would still go up to what it will go up, but you'll get such a better price. I think a yep. lot of people's too eager, you know, to to get into stuff because they're afraid they they may miss out or whatever. But I mean, there's a lot of good stocks out there too that, are, at least from a performance standpoint, that I just want to invest in because I don't, I just don't believe in them. I mean, I, I just don't, think, I don't believe the story, and I've been wrong. You know, there's, you know, Tesla's one of them. 
I could have invested at 300 before the run up before the split. Um, a, uh, you know, a Peloton's one of them for me. Uh, Zoom is one of them for me, even though we're on Zoom. <laughs> it's still, it's just a stock that I want to invest in. I just, uh, I don't see it after this ends. Um, I don't see the, the moat or whatever. I don't know about Zoom as far as the mode, but I, from somebody who works for a company that, you know, you have to travel a little bit and go to places, I think, you know, maybe not Zoom, but I, I don't know. I think that's the one industry that will stay, you know, changed after this is I feel like companies realize that a lot, a lot of this business travel that they could save, they could get the same amount of stuff done in a more efficient way, you know, without, you know, paying hotel bills and flights. I think we, we could see a lot of business travel get cut out, which will kill a lot of, it'll hurt a lot of industries. I think that's one of the reasons it may take a while for the airlines to get back because, you know, recreational travel will take you so far, but the real amount of money they make definitely comes from business travel. So, yeah. I think that's going well, to take a um, And the company I work for is actually very progressive as far as that goes, as far as um, even before all this happened, it, they were very, um, very far along in their, um, you know, in their, uh, I guess, tech, uh, as far as we, we use uh, WebEx, Cisco WebEx mostly, um, but we've used, I've used Team, um, Zoom as of today is the first time I've really used Zoom, but um, I, I think you're right. I think the industry is, uh, for remote work and remote video conference and thing is is here to stay. It's, um, I just don't see the multiple that Zoom's getting right now long term. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, like I said, I've been using it for a long time. I've been um, pretty progressive, especially for an old company. Pretty progressive. Um, so uh, so I, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's here to stay, but. Yeah, I think Zoom's one that they'll have to figure out something else. They because right now they're pretty much, as far as I know, just uh, the video conference that sort of thing. Um, that's pretty easy for other people to jump onto. You mentioned Teams. That's what we use at at work. I mean, if a company like Zoom shows the you know the technology people will use it, then I mean it won't take it doesn't take long at all for Microsoft or Apple or whoever to whip something up and they have a lot more stuff going for them. So, you know, you just add one more thing to it. You know, people's already using Microsoft for everything else. Why would I have two different programs when I can now do the same thing on here? I think that's, that could be a problem with zoom long-term. Yeah. Maybe that's an opportunity for zoom and work or somebody to combine and, and make something. They're both trying to fight Microsoft, right? So, yeah, so um, I, I guess in your portfolio, besides indexes, you mostly trade um, growth um, growth funds. Um, is there any industry or anything like that that you see, um, you know, right now as being a, a booming industry? Like one, one for example, that, you know, I think will be bigger going forward is um, sports gambling, basically. I mean, all, all those could be huge as it get, becomes more legal a lot. Uh, more legalized throughout the, the country and that's happening every day. But is there any industries that, you know, you see 10 years from now that may be small now that may be, you know, pretty big 10, five, 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think there's a bunch. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the, the green, the green industries are, are definitely going to grow regardless. Um, even a lot of the, the oil companies are transitioning to, to green, ish <laughs> industry so 
you know, they're, um, they're trying to convert to biodiesels and, and biofuels. Um, there's just, there's a few refineries right now I know that are, that are converting. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I, I think, you know, electric vehicles are, de is definitely a growth room. I think it's might've like Tesla and specifically, but even some of the others might've, uh, be out over their skis a little bit, but, um, I still think in 10 years, you know, that's still going to grow into that. So, um, uh, beyond that, I, I still think we've got some great opportunities for recovery stocks, quote unquote recovery stocks right now. Um, if you're willing to, to buy and, and hold for a year or two, um, there's, uh, you know, airlines are going to come back. People are still going to travel uh, when all this ends. Um, you know, the, the, I think there's a lot of opportunity even in oil and gas, but right now the risk is you got to pick somebody who's not going to go bankrupt. So, um, yeah. Right now, I think I think UNG had a pretty bad day. Right now, might be the the time to get back long in UNG. I think it's down to about eleven again. Is it? Yeah. So. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I'm in the industry, but I know uh, several executives at a, at a few of the major oil and gas companies that I talk to fairly regularly. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's struggling right now. You know, Shell shutting down. Um, they announced they're shutting, I think, uh, seven other refineries down in the next couple of years. Um, it's just, it, it's rough right now, but, um, the burn, it's mainly refining side. Um, so if you are an investor in oil and gas, and I don't want to make this an oil and gas investment show, but, uh, I mean, probably... know, go ahead and make it oil and gas. I mean, I think <laughs> me, and, me and John definitely trade oil and gas a lot as far as maybe not individual companies, but, the the ETF, the United the United Natural Gas Fund or whatever, UNG. Yeah, so uh, transmission companies are actually doing pretty good still because most of those companies have, have uh, you know, they have set rates with, with people, they have minimums. Um, so most of the transmission companies are still pr doing pretty well. Yeah, that's what um, industry, that's what industry I work in is the, the transmission. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's, uh, they're still doing, they're still doing good. The, the, uh, I worked in refining for most of my career, but I'm, I'm actually in logistics now on uh, transportation and, um, you know, mo our side of the business is actually doing pretty well, um, holding up pretty well. So, um, you know, I, I think there's still opportunities there and, and turning around if you can, again, if you can find the companies that aren't going to go bankrupt, but the problem is there's going to be capacity come off the table. So, there's at some point somebody's going to go bankrupt um, in their finding side. You just got to make sure and pick the right horse. Yeah. Do you see um, anything from, you know, the outcome of this election, you know, do you think it's going to greatly hurt it kind of stay the same, help it? Um, what's your feeling on that? I know we talked to my, my father when he was on here and um, you know, besides fr the fracking is the, you know, it, Joe Biden ends up winning, which is what it looks like. Um, you know, he's got pretty strict laws on fracking, which could hurt the the industry. Um, my father kind of felt like maybe at the beginning it, it it would, but it would kind of just stay similar to what it is now because everyone has been for years trying to go more green and that sort of thing already. So he felt like it won't be that big of a hit. What is your um, feelings on, you know, if there's a change of administration? Yeah, for, for upstream, which is your, your drilling in section, I really don't, I mean, the best thing that could have happened for this country, regardless of who, who the president is, is that the, the Senate stayed Republican, regardless of, regardless of how your feelings are politically. Um, uh, with a lot of those 
extremist policies aren't going to come into effect. They're just not going to get through the Senate, period. Um, and we're not going to have to worry about a packed court. Um, so even though the rhetoric is around stopping fracking, I still don't think um, I still don't think that's going to come to pass. Um, the one thing about you know, I, not to make this political, the one the good thing about Trump, whether you like him or not, is that he he lived up to what he said he was going to do. He he tried to do it, um, and probably for most people, the good thing about Biden is that uh, he uh, he says a lot of stuff and is probably not going to do any of it. So um, you know, it is what it is. Um, so I don't think it's going to affect, affect the industry that much. I think what's killing the industry is travel. It's just everybody being locked down. Um, talking to several people, I, I don't think that it's going to stabilize until next summer, probably. Um, and when I say stabilize, I don't think it's going to return. I think it's going to stabilize where we're at um, probably next summer. And I don't see a rebound in oil and gas probably until 2022. Yeah, it seems like we're pretty far out on oil and gas. I guess the, the last couple of days, it's kind of, you know, been a, a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard to recover from, you know, it being zero, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I hear I hear anecdotally that, you know, airfares, you know, packed and stuff, but there just can't be as many flights. I mean, I think they're filling flights up, but there's just not as many flights. Yeah, so I agree with that. Um there, there's definitely not as many flights, but I think it's an in-between what, you know, people's perception is and, you know, what it normally is. I think it's probably more in the middle, whereas, you know, the airlines lead you to believe that's, you know, just killed and there's nothing happening. I, I've been on a couple of flights here recently. I actually have to go to Florida next Tuesday and, you know, the airports I've been in were completely packed. I mean, I felt like it, nothing has changed. I guess everyone was wearing masks, but as far as like capacity wise, I felt like there was, you know, similar amount of people as normal, but I agree there's probably less flights going to, um, you know, smaller regional airports and, and things like that, that will come back and probably is affecting money. But I don't think that it's quite as bad as, you know, some people um, believe it is. Yeah. Which, yeah, it, which, I mean, for the airlines, you, of course, wouldn't make it seem like it was better because then you wouldn't get any money from the government. So if you're wanting to get, to get some <laughs> money from the government, you got to make it seem like it's real bad. Like, the, um, I guess, like a couple of weeks ago for the, before the stimulus, American Airlines or someone said that if they didn't get any money, they were laying off like, it was like 900,000 or a million people. And and when that number is like, okay, that's an overreaction. I don't think you're laying off a million people. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think American has, um, there's a pretty large layoff scheduled for, oh, shoot, I, think, I thought it was October. It's probably already happened. Yeah, I they think said it that has. They, um, but it, I think they overblew them. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. I, I think it was around uh, 25% or something of their, at least of their, uh, their force there in Tulsa. They have a major hub in Tulsa. They do a lot of repair work and stuff, and I think they were they were laying off 25, 30% of the people there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the industries, as far as maybe not the actual company, but as far as like stocks go, that if Biden does end up holding, will probably in the short term improve because the market will probably buy it up based on knowing that it's definitely probably getting a stimulus package. So yeah. that's one of the stocks that in the short term I feel like will benefit if there is – um, a change in the administration just from the stimulus side 
but I don't know how much farther the market could go. I mean, this week's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time to be on. I want to come on when we're up 10% every week. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, I, like you mentioned, I think I tweeted about that maybe yesterday on our, um, actual official account was about the Senate staying, um, staying Republican. I think that's, you know, the biggest reason the market's up right now is because before it was pretty, I mean, the odds would say that it was going to be a complete democratic sweep. And now that's not like you mentioned, a lot of the policies that normally, you know, may hinder the economy a little bit, whether that's like huge tax increases, um, and, you know, any other extreme policies, as you um, mentioned, that won't happen now. Like that's, you know, you, you can't be as extreme about it. So even though some, some policies will pass, you, a lot of the real super extreme ones can't pass. Whereas if, you know, it was all a Democratic House, Democratic Senate and Democratic um, president, you can pretty much run through anything you, you want to basically. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of looked out there because I, I think I agree. I think that's why the market, I think the market was, was down the last few weeks because they were, they were afraid of that uh, blue, blue, uh, wave or whatever and uh i think that's why we're up so i hope we get another four percent tomorrow you know that's what my, that's what i've been up <laughs> every day i i don't see if it's going i don't think it's going to be another four percent tomorrow um i saw volatility was coming in a little bit in after hours i think it was up two and a half three percent i the the problem is as as we keep going it looks as if this election is going to be you know drawn out for at least another month so yeah, the contested elections like the that's the other thing when you talk to regular people who don't um, you know trade or invest that much and you talk to them about politics, they kind of have an idea that you know this side makes the market go up, this side normally makes it go down. But reality, the market just wants an answer. As long as the market knows what it's dealing with, it's it's normally okay with it. It's it's not knowing is the, the major issue. Yeah, I mean, we had great earnings last week, and then the market just reacted negatively. It was just crazy. Um, we had yeah, some... that's what I thought, too. I, um, we talked about it on the show. I think we had a guest on that day. We talked about some of the, the earnings. Like It felt like Facebook beat earnings, Twitter beat earnings, Apple beat earnings, but they all kind of you know dropped at the same time based on you know who knows what. It was just a down day. And that's the other thing that's kind of, I think, you know, kind of helping the market as a whole, but also kind of sometimes hurting it. These, these companies where like say Zoom, where people, you know, you're expected to do so well because of the pandemic, they can report, I think it happened to Netflix not that long ago. You can report pretty good earnings, but because the expectations are so high, it, you still, it still sells off, even though your earnings at any other time would have been great. And then, the on the vice versa to that these companies that people think like say an airline comes out with great earnings it's probably going to boom up because the expectations are so low yeah yeah i mean it's like it's it feels like they're pricing in 50 percent beats on every earning and if you don't beat it by more than 50 percent then you might as well have missed it completely it's it's just crazy yeah, that, I, that's one of the things that happened. I, I guess the pin in the quarter two back in August, they beat earnings, but their earnings wasn't good. But the expectations were so low that the number they they had was, you know, it made it rise like $15 or something on a stock that was 30, 30 bucks. 
even with pretty poor earnings. Um, but um, before we let you go, um, I do you trade any of the, the bird logo stocks? <laughs> you asked me about that, and I, I don't. <laughs> I looked I looked up a few though. Um, What's your favorite? Twitter. Uh, it has to be Twitter, right? So um, we're I, mad at Twitter. We're mad at Twitter on this show right now. Yeah, well, I, okay I own Twitter at one time. Do it. I said I balanced my. Um, I had a put spread in Twitter, and I balanced it out and just made it a skewed iron condor. So it's uh, looking like it's going to end up working out for me, and I reduced some of my risk in it, but. Um, I have a couple questions before we do let you go, um, but I'll let y'all finish on this topic. Yeah, I was just getting through this. I was going going to go to you. And feel free to jump in at any time, John. You've been a little quiet this episode. He's probably sleeping. I know I'm pretty tired after this election week and all the <laughs> yes, earnings. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I actually used to own Twitter, but um, I sold it. It was actually one of the stocks that I bought originally. Um, and just we all see where the – Twitter stocks are done and not much really. So I, uh, I sold it and got into some other stuff, but. Well, it was doing good. And then um, their earnings was, that's another one. Their earnings was really good, but because their user percentage didn't beat expectations, it basically tanked. Like I think they were expecting like 30% more users and they had like 20% more users. So he, the numbers were still good, but it was like just not good enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't understand Twitter enough to, uh, how they make money. I know their ads are pretty pitiful. Uh, you know, you get a promoted ad once or twice, but uh, anyway, I, they they just got to figure out a better way to do it, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure about Twitter. So I'm, I know you interact with like Fat Baby Funds, someone on um, yep. Twitter. Uh, he's real big into Facebook, and he says it's one of the best companies you can be in right now. And it's it's kind of social that was kind of thing for me before I, you know, talked to him the first time is you have ads, but where is all this money coming to? I mean, they're reporting like billions of dollars and stuff like that, but apparently Facebook is like, I I get, so fat baby funds is a, he's like a vice president of finance at like a, you know, some company. So he, he, he's pretty good at breaking down the finances and he looked through Facebooks and he said, it's one of the, the better books on the market. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I hear nothing but good things about Facebook. I actually uh, kind of did a short swing trade on them earlier this year in my, in my main account. Um, and uh, I just, I, I don't know. I just can't, I, don't, I guess I don't understand it enough. And um, with all the political headwinds, um, I don't know. To me, they're, it's, it's tough with them. I, I don't know if they're going to get broken up. I don't know, you know. There's just a lot of political stuff around them, and I just don't want to get stuck out on um, on a trade with them. So I just pretty much avoid it uh, for that reason. But I mean, I, I kind of agree with Fat Baby though that it's uh, I think it's a good stock. I think it's probably going to run up, and make a lot of people money. It's just not one for me. Yeah, I would say it's a little probably. I think in people's heads, you know, I feel like a lot more people actively, maybe not a lot more people because you know a lot of older people and stuff are you know using Facebook. A lot of people who you know, like Twitter, the way Twitter set up as a, as a platform, you know, kind of look down on Facebook, but then when you dive into it, you know, Facebook owns Facebook, Instagram, and all these other companies yeah. um, as well, whereas Twitter is, is Twitter. That's kind of all, all they have. Um, 
John, what all questions do you got? Yeah, so I know you're like a, a long-term investor and, and you do play in the short term. Um, does your long-term portfolio only exist of equities or are you in commodities or precious metals as well? Um, mostly equities, yeah, pretty much all equities. Um, now, I know a lot of long-term uh, portfolios or managers They'll have a portion in bonds. Is that um, something that your accounts were in before, you know, you started managing them or what was the allocate? I know it was like some broad, you know, usually in 401ks, they give you some broad uh, selections, but you don't get to like really go in depth of what you want. Um, what yeah. was that allocation like? Yeah. So I was pretty much, um, uh, let's see, I was, I was like 75% in set, probably 70% in uh, growth, and then um, 15, 20% in um, like uh, foreign or, or overseas stocks, and then 10% in that kind of bond area. So that's, that's kind of how I had it mostly allocated my whole career, I guess, um, is it, pretty heavily in growth, just understanding that I had a long horizon. So, um, so that was helpful. So, okay. And so, with your equities, do you mess with like gold miners or or any um, industry specific? I know you talked about your companies in the oil uh, industry. Do you mess with any commodity based companies? Is that a big part of it, or is it just um, strictly like growth, like tech? I think. Um, it's kind of evolved over time. So when I started, there was a lot more, um, there was probably a lot more, um, what we consider value. I didn't even understand the word value probably when I started that, uh, but yeah, more what we consider value uh, investments. But um, I think right now I've pretty much uh, moved and, and even dividends for that matter. I mean, I had about a hundred thousand dollars in quote unquote dividend stocks um, up until fairly recently. Um, I was getting about, uh, I don't know, about a 10% return. Um, so I was making about ten, eleven thousand dollars on on a hundred thousand um, dollars in dividends annualized, but even those um, I've I've kind of trimmed out of, and I'm almost all in growth now. Um, but I could I don't think that's going to stay that way for forever. Um, my plan would be that you know once you kind of see an end in sight of uh, the COVID and the lockdowns, I'll probably um, move some of that back over towards uh, the dividend value recovery kind of stocks. Yeah, I see a lot of people, um, you know, on Twitter and stuff doing that right now. The people who are, you know, have these huge accounts, been doing the dividends and the, you know, dividend reinvestment plans and stuff like that, who are, you know, now where the market is right now, are looking to close out of some of those, get into the growth stocks while it's still hot, and then maybe go back to dividends later. Right now, it's there's a lot of opportunity in the market for people who are just, you know, when, if you're just starting out right now, you're seeing a market with a lot of opportunity. Yeah, there's just opportunity everywhere. And I know you guys probably would appreciate this one more. Anyway, I, I did say I had RW, but I also have a, a QILD, which is a, it's basically a fund. If you're not familiar with it, it's a fund that, that uh, sells covered calls. That's what they do. And they they pay a, a pretty high dividend. It's almost a 12% dividend off of, off of that. So um, I, st I still have a good chunk into that. Um, and I'll probably add to that over time. I, I don't want to over risk in it because you never know, you know, what their what their management is or whatever, how they're going to perform. But um, but I've been really happy with it. 
so it's kind of a, a way to do both without a lot of effort. Yeah, I guess that fund probably done better than the market in the March lows just because they were reducing the risk and collecting that premium to, you know, smooth out their volatility, I'm guessing. Yep. Yeah, they did. I mean, obviously they dropped because the value of their stocks that they own dropped. But um, but yeah, they, they recovered some and been fairly stable. Um, and to me, it's a it's almost a, a no lose. I mean, you can lose value, I guess, overall, but um, it seems like a great way to a great way to pay a dividend long term. Yeah, for sure. And no, we, still we had a couple. Home. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people like the covered uh, Paul strategies, and I think a lot of people eat, probably start with that one when they start exploring options. Um, you know, you can own something that you like, but also reduce your risk with the covered call. Um, I also uh, tend to push people towards uh, selling naked puts um, because, um, you know, it's basically, a th you know, theoretically, it's basically the same trade, the only difference is with the naked puts is that they trade richer than calls. So you can do a, even a little bit better if you do naked puts versus covered calls. Um, that's something that we've you know, looked into quite a bit, but um, covered calls and are, the are other still thing. really good. And, and I think it's easier for people to do covered calls because they actually still do own the company versus, you know, Options tend to turn a lot of people off just because they can be a lot to understand. But uh, when you come into it from the covered call or the naked put, then it can ease people into those a little easier than telling them about an iron condor or something. Well, the other thing with the um, the selling the puts, as far as like if you're just trying to be a long-term investor is, you know, it it works out either way. If you were going to buy, let's say square at whatever cost and you sold, you sold a put and say you're, you're wrong, which means the stock went down. Now you're just buying the same amount of shares you probably were buying to begin with at a cheaper price. So if you were going long, anyhow, it's just a way to try to do it a cheaper. And then you mentioned the, the covered calls, John, um, that's, that's one of the things a lot of people do, like once they get retirement age, right? Once they kind of built their profile, they've made their money to continue getting money come in as they, you know, you sell cover calls against your already, the positions you already have, I think. I think that's a pretty common strategy. Yeah, and I, I, um, I've started, so my, my option strategy, maybe it's not ideal, but that's pretty much all I trade now in my um, in my smaller you know cash account is options, um, and and uh, what I what I was successful with until a month or so ago um, was I would buy kind of long cover or long calls, um, usually out at least a couple months, but sometimes I've got I've still got some 2022 calls, um, but I usually don't hold them very long, so I hold them more like a short call like a, a shorter you know couple of weeks. For the most part, um, but it, it's it's helped me reduce risk at least in my mind. Although I know I'm losing premium as it as it um, as it ages, but they're far far enough out that it's just a really small uh, premium loss, you know, uh, week to week. So um, I've had a lot of success with it, and especially companies that I think are gonna you know will have a pop at some point. Um, CCL, for example, Carnival. At some point, they're gonna open up and it's gonna pop. And when it does, 
I've got a 2022 call. Um, you know, it's, it's probably, uh, I think I've got a, it's a 2250 call uh, for 2022. I mean, I, I have no doubt I'm gonna, it's going to pay off at some point. It's just a matter of holding it long enough. So that's kind of been my strategy on the options trades. I know it's, it's not really a short-term trade strategy that you guys use. Um, but that's, it's, it's worked for me for the most part, except whenever, you know, premiums get killed. Yeah. And here soon, I mean, um, volatility is, um, you know, starting to get pulled out once the selection kind of gets behind us and things start going back to normal with COVID, you know, volatility will come out a lot more. And then, you know, we'll be back into a scenario where buying, buying, um, options are, you know, maybe better back to um, being a better strategy right now some of the volatility is so high that you know you can you can get in one and be correct but because you wasn't right enough and volatility got pulled out you still basically were yeah, wrong so yeah and that, that's why and that was one of those lessons that you know they say everybody you know everybody who trades options has to blow up a counter or two to, to to figure it out so um i didn't quite blow up my account but i've uh, i've heard it pretty made a pretty good dent in it the last month or so yeah, I think the other reason people get in trouble sometimes with the options is it's real easy to, you know, overextend yourself on the number of, of contracts when really the better strategy is probably buy more. Instead of going up in the number of contracts, it's probably better to buy a more costly contract that's like a better contract. Right. So instead of buying these, you know, $10 out of the money and buying 10 of them, it would probably pay better off, you know, buying one right at the money and just buying two or three or whatever, even though it's going to be the same same cost, but you're probably better off. Yeah. Because now, then the uh, theta risk is less. Go ahead. Yeah, so I don't know what broker you use, but some uh, brokers TD Ameritrade. Allow, okay. So I don't know if they let you use futures or not, but uh, do you use futures at all in any of your accounts? No, I haven't. I don't use futures at all. Okay. No. Is it something that uh, you haven't looked at yet, or just something that um, you're not comfortable I, with? I just haven't looked at it. I just haven't looked at it yet. Okay. Um, yeah. And kind of going actually, back the to, first time I really, the first time I really heard uh, somebody talking about it was you guys did last night. You know, a couple nights ago on election night. So. Yeah. So okay. even I mean, you have enough. You have a big enough account. You could actually just trade normal futures, but yeah, now they have um, you know small futures where like you know even somebody with a smaller account can trade trade them a small. It, it takes less buying power, and you still get a pretty good you know portion of the notional value. Like um, one of the smallest futures is like kind of correlated to the Nasdaq. It's a bunch of technology stocks. Um, you know, it may only cost $400 to trade a contract, whereas the NASDAQ contract may be like $6,000. Okay. But they have they have one of those. And on the technology, they have one that's kind of like the S&P 500, except it's, you know, more, it's probably more like the, the Dow than the S&P 500. They have a dollar one, like a US dollar. They have a, they have a commodity, like a gold, silver, and platinum all in one. So those are pretty cool. And they're you know, they're cheaper price. So if you were looking to get into futures, I would suggest maybe, you know, looking at those first, um, kind of learn what's going on and before stepping up to, you know, the, the big. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, especially with, um, you know, someone like you that has a bigger account, um, futures are bigger, you know, the but the regular, um, the traditional futures are um, really big products. Um, 
and a lot of bigger accounts, uh, they benefit a lot from the capital efficiency of them. But if you are, you know, if you like to pick your own stocks and stuff, it might not be something um, that you would be, you know, interested in. But I definitely would suggest checking out if, you know, if someone would go and buy, you know, a bunch of spy, like say you bought $200,000 worth of SPY, you could actually do the same with like one contract of the ES S&P 500 future. Um, and so it's For a little $3, bit more. $3,000. What is okay. it? I said, yeah, they only cost like, what is it like $3,000? Well, the like ES that. is, uh, it, you have, the, I, I don't know something. about like a, a, a IRA account or anything, but um, a ES is, pro, I mean, for a margin account, you have to put up like 16,000 or something like that. But the notional equivalence is um, like a couple hundred thousand. Um, so you get the same exposure um, instead of having to buy a bunch of individual shares of SPY. And then, you know, it's more capital efficient and you can you diversify and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff uh, you know with it but i would definitely suggest you know a lot of people don't have the benefit of having such a large account like you know like you do you're above average as far as your account size but i would definitely suggest you know taking a look at it and seeing what you think what is that tom didn't tom Soznoff just do like a whole like talk on using futures for long-term investments yeah I mean, it, it was, a, it was, was a really good um it was a really you know good what that's called john what is it i said do, i said do you know what that's called so you can tell him if he wants to you know look it up i would suggest that talk as as yeah that's, talk is that's really good he, he really that's specifically for long term yeah, I mean you can. I mean you can use futures for speculation as well, but you can do it for long term as well. Um, you know they have expirations, kind of like uh, you know uh, options contracts, and you can trade options on futures as well. Um, but yeah, I'll um, we'll try to send you a link to it on Twitter um, of the of the talk. It might be something you'd be interested in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I definitely need to listen to you guys more before I get into that. I learned something. Oh, I don't know. If I do. <laughs> don't listen to us on trade and ES, but <laughs> um, John, you got any more questions before I go to the few comments we got on YouTube? Um, no, I think I think I've asked uh, asked everything. I, I appreciate uh, you know him coming on, and we do have a few questions on YouTube. I think they missed um, you know some of the earlier talks, so they might be repetitive. Yeah, so someone asked how long um, you've been been doing this. Um, it's it's four years trading, right? And then you just did the TD Ameritrade at the beginning of this year. Plus, you had fifteen years of a four hundred one k. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. So, um, yeah, just basically managing you know four hundred one k and um, you know, and that, that's really it. And and I say just four hundred one k. Also, I did I didn't mention earlier, but you know, I have had some company stock in the past, individual uh, you know stock grants and stuff like that that I've, I've had but still not really trading individual stocks until um four years ago with robin hood and then this year with td ameritrade and then the next question is going back to the natural gas um what do you what did you think of you know warren buffett buying dominions which is one of the you know larger companies in the field of buying their natural gas 
portion? Um, I think Warren Buffett probably knows what he's doing. I think he, he probably knows that it's going to come back like everybody else. Um, you know, natural gas is one of those plays that it's, it's oil and gas, but it's, it's also clean energy. And a lot of people don't look at it. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the clean energy people don't look at natural gas as clean energy, but um, it really is. If you're, if you're trying to reduce carbon emissions, the only way you're going to get to the, I know we're not in the Paris Accords anymore, but the only way you're going to get there is with natural gas. Yeah, I think, I think the stigma on natural gas a lot more is, you know, a lot of the more greener environmentalist type people, it's, um, you know, putting the pipelines like people's not very, you know, normally not farmers don't like, you know, pipelines going through their land. People don't like when you have to put a pipeline through like a, a national forest and it's, it's, becomes always a big political thing on, you know, trying to get the logistics. I, I just wonder if any of those people live next to a, a windmill farm or a, or a, um, you know, a, a, um, I went blank, but a um, solar oh, power. Yeah, so is it that, isn't the windmill, that's pretty loud, isn't it? I mean, they do make a lot of noise, uh, especially if you live there, you're going to have a lot of background humming noise, um, but they take a, it's an eyesore. I mean, a pipeline goes through and you know six months later you'd never know it was there if somebody didn't tell you. Uh, well that's the thing that was kind of weird about when the minion sold their um, natural gas portion of their company to Warren Buffett is so I live in Virginia and literally you know 10 minutes from where I live and then as and we're also from West Virginia and they have another one there Dominion basically won a huge um, court case which would allow them Basically, there's been there's a huge project in West Virginia and there was a huge project in Virginia that all they there it was almost completely done except for they had to cross the Appalachian Trail and it, it was a huge um, stink and everything. Well, the court ruled in Dominion's favor and they were actually they were going to be allowed to you know cross the Appalachian Trail. And then, you know, a week or two later is when Dominion sold the natural gas portion. So that was kind of an odd timing. But no, yeah, it's that's what I see a lot of time, not trying to be, you know, too political, but a lot of times the, the real, now it, it's good to be green and, you know, try to be the best you can. And I guess I, go, I kind of feel this way, a lot, like where we're from West Virginia, where coal mining is so big is there better options as far as cleaner options? Yes, there are cleaner options, but what people don't, I feel like don't account for as much as, you know, the people that live more in the rural areas. Like if you live in Chicago or New York City, do you need to have, you know, coal to have your power plants? No, you know, you, you have enough people where the nuclear energy makes, makes sense. Um, but it doesn't make sense, you know, in places where it's, you know, it's not a hugely populated area. So right now, until there's a better option, you know, coal, natural gas, things like that still have to be used because there's, there's not a solution. I feel like a lot of times some of these, you know, high political um, invested environmentalists, they have an issue with something, but they don't provide a solution. Well, I mean, that's the other thing, right, is that, I mean, when's the last time we built a nuclear plant in the U.S.? Um, yeah. I mean, they, they won't do it. I mean, they, they won't, the regulation and stuff, they just won't let you do it. And if you want to, you want clean energy, you got to have nuclear, you're going to have to have some natural gas. And I'm all for clean energy, absolutely. Um, 
But it has but to make sense. It has to make sense. It has to make economic sense. It has to support itself. And people don't realize how much oil goes into, um, you know, building a car, building an electric car, building a windmill, um, you know, building their solar power panels. Uh, there's a lot of oil that goes into it. Um, and there's a lot of oil that goes into your house. I mean, there's there, the clothes you're wearing are made with oil. Um, you know, the, the stuff you eat on is made with oil. So um, people just don't realize uh, how much it's necessary. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, people see people see it as it's like direct um, direct usage, and they don't realize it's really indirectly used in almost almost everything. And that's you know that's one of the thing one of the things we was talking about on our election show on Tuesday when we got into the natural resources area. Um, you know, most of the people who you know are kind of against natural gas and that sort of thing are the ones who are like real big for you know, electric cars, well, in order to charge your electric car, you need the power, you need more power to do that. So yeah, we're eliminating emissions from the car, but now you're creating a need for substantially more energy, which you're also kind of against. So yeah, sometimes it's a, you know, a back, you know, one but step I mean, forward, one step back. Yeah, but I, I still think there's a, I mean, there's a place for all of it. I think, you know, it's kind of a, we need a little bit of everything. We need the optionality to, to fit what's best. Like you said, where it makes sense. Uh, there's places where, where it doesn't make sense. Um, and, and there's places where it does and we should, we should, uh, it should be all of the above. Yeah. And that, that's how I feel too. Like um, as technology begins to, you know, get better, we should be moving to more, you know, efficient, cleaner um, options but people have to understand that that's a transition. We have to move towards that. That's not a, you know, all of a sudden one day you can just cut off because then it doesn't work like that. Um, the, I mean, the commodity that we should all should, should be worrying about um, is as the water is water, right? So um, that's the one that nobody really talks about, and that's the one that's probably uh, the most critical for us, uh, to be honest. Um, from a clean, the, the one that always gets me, um, and I don't know what your time looks like, but the, the one that always gets me is ethanol. Um, it's just, it takes so much energy to make a, a gallon of, of this so-called clean ethanol. It, it's ridiculous. It's just, it, it would never make sense without subsidy. Um, and it doesn't make sense even with subsidy, to be honest. It uses it uses more more gasoline than, than it produces. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible uh, gasoline substitute. It's bad for your engines. It's uh, it uses a ton of water. I think it's three gallons of water to make a, a gallon of ethanol, something like that. Um, it's just it's crazy. That's one of the things. Uh, speaking of ethanol, that was one of the things. Um, you know, I forget who it was. I heard talking about it, but it made a lot of sense. You know, for this election, a lot of people. You know, I guess where Pennsylvania was such a swing state. You know, a lot of people was talking about the fracking and that sort of sort of thing. And you know, you may have seen like some of the corn futures, you know, go down some like that. And then you hear maybe like people in the Midwest, you know, also talking about fracking. And then you hear the, the thing back to them was like, well, that's not really in your neighborhood. Why do you care about fracking? Well, that, like you said, that natural gas is used to make ethanol, which is also made from corn. So it's, yep. it's all tied together. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really all I have. Um, John, do you have anything else? No, I think we covered all, all the questions I had. 
Um, so where, where can people find you if they want to, you know, follow some of your trades, how you're doing, some of your content, um, tell everyone where they can find you and, you know, what they can look forward to seeing, um, you know, if they follow you on Twitter or whatever. I, I think you do some other content aside from that as well, right? Um, I mean, it's, pre it's pretty much just, uh, um, just that, that Twitter page uh, at ParrotStock. Um, and you know, I, I try to post most of my trades of roughly real time or what are my thoughts real time, what, I, what I'm thinking about doing. Um, again, I'm not posting it for people to follow me. I'm just trying to give people ideas and, and let them know what I'm thinking. And um, yeah, happy to happy to answer anything on there. Again, that's why it's an anonymous account. If I'm wrong, I can be wrong uh, in public. It's it's okay. <laughs> so nobody knows who I am, so it's all right. Um, well, you also have like um, you have like a, a guide to growing on Twitter and that sort of thing too, as well. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, I have a uh, my my family's involved in a, um, a nonprofit. Uh, it's a uh, it's for creatine transporter deficiency. Um, so uh, I have a family member that's affected by it, and um, so I, I wrote this Twitter guide, a growth guide. It was kind of a, kind of on a limb, um, but you know how why uh why i started this and kind of how i grew it and, and kind of what i've learned along the way you know it's it's free if you want to go to it it's the links in my uh twitter guide our twitter bio um it's a blink tree um which you can go to it and hopefully give you some ideas on how you can grow faster or bigger if you if you want to and um if you want to make a donation either by uh, uh when you when you pick up that guide or directly there's a link to the uh to the creatine uh, um, nonprofit also on that link tree. So feel free. And if you want to start a Robin hood or a web bull account, you know, use my link and you can uh, get some free stocks and so can I. So, <laughs> um, and I think that about covers it. I'm not here to sell nothing though. So <laughs> I wouldn't prepare for that one. Yeah. But I mean, you have it out there. So people should be aware of it. You were nice enough to come on the show. People are, you know, getting content from you. So, you know, they, sh they should know where they can go to pay it back. And like you said, you have a, you know, a nonprofit and a charity on there. So that's definitely something people should check out. And um, one more question before you go, because I almost forgot. If um, if there's a young person come to you looking for um, investing advice, what's the one thing, the biggest thing you've learned um, thus far in your journey? And what is the, the biggest mistake? And then what's, the, what's one um, piece of advice you would give someone first starting out? Um, so first starting out, uh, if, if you have a, if you're lucky enough to work for a company that, that has a 401k, invest in it, um, if, uh, especially if it's a, uh, if it has a company match. Uh, the max full it out. amount too. Yeah, yeah, max it out. Max it out. Um, that's free money. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's something that I too, way too many people don't do. Um, uh, so do that. And then, uh, and same thing with, you know, an IRA. Uh, depending on where you're at, we didn't we didn't talk about this, but uh, like for, for me, a Roth doesn't make sense because um, of my tax bracket. But um, you know, if starting out, especially you know, invest in a Roth, um, it's a lot of tax advantages. Also, um, basically free money. Yeah, again, free money. Um, and and just uh, you know, pay yourself first. Everybody talks about it. What does that mean? You know, take you always find money for beer, cigarettes, taking a girl out to dinner, whatever. Uh, pay yourself, use that money, pay yourself first. Um, and if you do it, if you pay, you know, five or 10% or whatever that is of your salary, you do it from day one, you never miss it. You never spend it. Um, and that's probably the best advice I could give somebody starting out. 
Okay, and what's the biggest lesson you've learned um, thus far, as well as what's the biggest mistake that you've made? Um, well, I, I guess the biggest lesson I've learned is that, uh, and I still try to practice this today, when the market's down, I turn it off. So I don't, uh, I try not to do anything on, on big red days uh, other than maybe buy if there's something I'm looking to buy. Um, but for the most part, turn the noise off on the, on the really bad red days. I don't even want to buy really. Um, so I just, uh, just don't look at it every five minutes. That's probably the best thing um, you can do for yourself. Yeah, because and, when, you, when you do that, I guess, um, you know, you're, if you see it real red, you're losing money. You'd be more intrigued to, you know, making a rash decision, selling something that's probably going to be a winner and stuff like that, just because it's, it's I mean, even if it's something I want to sell, I don't, I mean, I, I try in general to, regardless of where it's been, I try to, you know, sell on green days, buy on red days. Um, even if it's up a hundred percent and it's only, it's only red 1%, I, you know, I still want to buy on that day. I don't want to buy on a day that it's, you know, it's green. Um, so in general, I try to do that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, even if it's something I want to sell, I don't want to sell it on a red day unless it's just something there's a, unless it's something you see that's, that's going to be a, a trend. Right. So, um, you know, oil you might sell if, you know, something came up and it was, you thought it was going to keep going down for the next six months, you might sell it today, but in general, you're always going to get a rebound. It always oversells. You're always going to get a rebound. Same thing on, you know, buy-in, right? It's always going to, people are going to overbuy and you're going to pull back. It always happens. Yeah, well, um, we really appreciate you coming on and um, talking to you. I'm sure this, um, this possibly won't be the last time we have you on and talk to you. And we definitely will continue interacting um, with you on Twitter. So um, like you said, um, you can follow him at um, the, is it, it's at parrot, the parrot stock, right? It's not at the stock parrot. Uh, yeah, it's at parrot stock. I think. And I actually have <laughs> uh, on, on the live stream, I actually have his picture up um, on the bottom there. We can't see it on zoom, but it's up with his handle. So. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's at parrot stock. I had to look, make sure. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely thanks for thanks for coming on and um have a have a good rest of your night. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys. Hey, I appreciate appreciate you having me. I do appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. See you later. See ya. Was that echo? Is that echo coming from your side or did he have the YouTube play in, in the back? Um no, it was it was probably I have my um headphones on. It was probably from him hearing it and then going into his whatever he was talking about. Yeah, it must it must be. It kind of started happening towards the end. I thought maybe he pulled up the YouTube or or something like that and had it playing because every time I would talk, I would hear like I would hear myself back like in my headphones. But it didn't happen when you when you started talking. I didn't hear. I heard you in my headphones, but I didn't hear like the echo like a secondary. I only heard it when um you know I started talking. So I was trying to make sure it wasn't me, which I didn't think it was. But yeah, um, pretty interesting guy, you know, pretty smart, to, you know, take the, he bets on himself, definitely for sure. So, um, you know, taking all the money and putting it into his own account, that would suck. Worst timing possible um, to have the market drop like that. I feel like a lot of people, you know, I don't know what, John, what would you do in that situation? Me and you are probably a little different level. We're a little more level-headed, I would say, than a lot of people. But, you know, if you 
put $550,000 and then all of a sudden the market, market tanked, um, you know, are you pulling out what you have or are you just going to go along for the ride or, or what? Say, say it drops, you put in 550 and you're down to 475. It's been a week. Are you inclined to pull that 475 or let her ride? Well, I was looking at his Twitter, um, the pinned, when I was looking at his pin tweet and then he has like the, all the, the thread of the pin tweet. Um, and, and it was saying like, it went down, like, um, it went down to like in the threes or something or high threes, like low fours or something. If I lost 200 grand in a week, basically. Yeah. That's something um, that your wife will kill you for. Yeah. I mean, Especially if she was already, um, if you already had an art, like he said, he was already, you know, kind of hesitant to begin with. What know? was the percentage? Um, let me see. Because I, I know but, that if you had all of your money, like say you had all of your money in the S&P 500 and um, it, it dropped, I think the bottom was 33% drop from the top in March, it's like a 33% drop. So I don't think he was like too far off from what the, the broad market done. So at the first thing- He might've real... even, even been worse because the SPY dropped what it dropped. But if you know, you're investing in growth funds, like, like I said, Penn National was $39 and a week later it was $3. So if you're in growth funds, I mean, some of those dropped down to you yeah, know, five, so... $6. So I'm going to look at this here just so I can quote it. So yeah, well, actually, March low was, yeah, so he he basically had all of his money into um, basically like an S&P uh, fund because he said the March low in his account was 370, which is a 33% drop. So yeah, so he basically just had it in the, mar in the market probably like they would. So the first thing you have to understand is like, well, all your money's in the S&P anyway. And it isn't something that he done, whether it was in his retirement account or if it was in his account, it was basically doing the same thing at that time. It wasn't until later until he transitioned to the other one. But for me, that would be the first thing is realizing it, it doesn't matter if you are with your company still doing it or with you. It's just one of those multi-standard deviation moves that, you know, doesn't happen, but, you know, a very fraction portion of the time. But I think when you build up capital like that over your life and it's that big, you know, I've been talking a lot to my mom about managing her own money. You have to, with when that much money, you have to go in with a, you know, a very sound game plan going in and you have to just stick to it as long as you understand the ins and outs of your game plan. Like when you have that much money and you're putting into it, even my account, which is much smaller than the parrot's account, um, when you're going into trading and this is something you've built your whole life, you're going to go into it as how you can protect the capital probably more than you're going to go of how can I make massive returns because you don't want to lose what you've worked your whole life for. So I think if that happened to me, I, you know, I would probably just stick to whatever plan I came in with. Um, but you also don't want to protect if you're taking control of your finances you're you're not just protecting your your money at all you're like you're definitely going to put out for some risk otherwise you'd have kept it where it's at i think he said he well, was getting right, 10, right. i mean i yes, think he said but, he was getting 10 percent didn't he say he was getting 10 percent returns 
um, in the 401k, which is better than the market. So if you pull yeah, it out, so, you're expecting to get better than 10%. Yeah, I mean, if, if, I think, of course, if you're going to manage it yourself, it's because you think you can get better returns than what you're, you know, what someone else is doing with your money, plus it's lower fees. Um, so yes, but at the same time, when you first start doing it yourself, you're going to be trying not to lose money at first versus trying to get yield. So I took it a little bit differently. Um, he definitely said he had a lot of index funds, but you know, he talked about how much research he did before he made that first investment that took three weeks before all the open the account deposits, you know, the normal stuff. Robinhood opens in a day, but if you ever, if you're on Robinhood and you ever switch to another account, know that it's, you know, it's a week and a half, two weeks, you know, because it's, you know, it's a lot more stuff involved, but um, I think he was in a few growth, like quite a few growth stocks as well, because he was talking about how much research um, he did to determine where to put it and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, and even so, I mean, he was down, his low was the same as the market's low. So, I mean, it wasn't too much different than um, just putting in the S&P 500. Um, and he's but, also up, he's up like almost 200 grand this year since then, right? So he start, if he started at 550, he's at 724 now. Yeah, his um, last update was when he was, as w was when he was at um, 649 on, well, okay, six days ago, he was at 649 and he was up 16% for the year. Yeah. Um, another thing I didn't know about, I saw the other day, Fat Baby Funds has made like 100K this year. I mean, the market's been going up. And if you're long, and especially if you're long and you took over your portfolio or you had capital sitting on the side and you got in there in the low, then yeah, you've made a ton of money. Oh, that's something I forgot to ask him about. I had it in my head and then we got on something else. I was going to ask him about, you know, how, how much capital he recommends to keep like on the sideline. So I thought, I think he would have be a pretty good knowledge about. Yeah. And well, that's one thing that I like derivatives for. Um, and what one is the problem with stocks is you have to put up a hundred percent of, of capital for them, or at least 50% if you're in a margin account. And you don't get the efficiency of your of how much money you're investing. So with something like a futures contract, you can put up a little bit of capital. Now you got to make sure you don't over leverage yourself. But the importance of using leverage or capital efficiency, as I I like to say, capital efficiency instead of leverage. Leverage kind of turns people off a little bit. If you have leverage on something and you use a small amount of your money. So say, for example, you have 100% in the S&P 500. No leverage is 100%. If you have that 100% in S&P 500, when the market tanks, you have no way of adding in when there's opportunity to buy on a down day. But if you use leverage, you can use that, you can use like 18, if you're using, uh, if you're using uh, naked puts, in a margin account, you can use like 20% of your capital. Well, you have 80% of your capital that's free and you're using 20% of it to get the same return you would be getting with 100% of it in the stock. So by using derivatives, you have 20% doing the same as 100% would, but now you have all this money on the side that you can use when opportunity comes along. 
but that's the importance of using capital efficiency. And I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you're fully invested in something major happens, you can't take advantage of that opportunity. And that's one thing that being an active manager and really understanding all the different products, you can take advantage of situations when opportunity comes versus if you're in a retirement account that someone else is managing and they don't use any leverage, then you don't, you know, as you build up capital your whole life and say you're 50 and you're all invested, well, when that big drop happens, you don't have any way to exponentially push yourself uh, the next 10 years through a recession if it happens. Yeah, so I agree. I actually don't use any leverage at all, but for people who are building their account um, using options and that sort of thing. Well, options have leverage oh, oh. in them. I mean, so because you're putting I, mean, I don't a small use amount them. Of I put money. up no, I put up the full amount every time. If you sell a put or I if, don't sell puts. Or if you are buying options, you're using leverage. How are you using leverage? If I buy an option for four hundred dollars, I'm buying putting up four hundred dollars. I paid. Well, yes, it's a defined amount, amount of margin. Yeah, I, will, I don't call that leverage. Put. Leverage to me is like a futures contract. You're putting up four hundred dollars, but you're really, I mean, if that tanks right away, you could be, you know, you owe somebody some money still. Well, right, but if you so Undef say to me, leverage is when you do undefined like. If you're in a margin account, you sell a put and you put up, you know, this portion of the trade. That yes. to me is leverage. If you right. put up I, the full amount, that's not like right. I, the I, risk. It, it is though, um, but I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like you're saying leverage is in like you can go farther than zero, but but well, leverage, me, leverage is. I guess it gives you more leverage because you're putting up less money to get the notional value of a hundred shares. That's what you're. That's lever. That is leverage using option. But when I hear people talk about leverage as far as trading, I'm thinking about, you know, this costs $3,000, but I'll let you do it if you give me $400. That's right. to me is what I, I mean. Right. So, and that's why I like to use capital efficiency term versus using leverage term, because when people think leverage, they think of what you think about is they think about oh, well, I can actually go below zero, but that's not necessarily the case. So I like to use capital efficiency as the term more than, you know, using leverage, but that's the importance of capital efficiency. And I think it's one of the main points that, uh, you know, people need to know and use in their account. It's a very powerful tool, especially if you want to outperform the market. Yeah, it's a, it's very important in, in that success. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, building your account at the beginning, it's a lot easier to build using options, you know, even if you're doing selling premiums where, you know, you're collecting $50 credit here, $60 credit here and closing at 50%. I think that's why what um, triggers people to buy options a lot because you can get four or $500 in a day or whatever and you could t only lose $200 or $300. Whereas when you're doing, you know, selling premium or whatever, you're your max profit is 60 and that's if you hold it to the end. So it's really 30. And, um, but if you think about it, you're doing so many of those at a time, it actually, you're, you're more consistent. So it, it normally comes out in the wash now years like this, like where things are moving so much. If you make, if you, you bought the right calls, you could have made a lot of money this year, but you know, a normal year where the market is what it is, you know, doing the premium strategy is so consistent that it normally comes out because you basically never have like the major losses. 
Um, but back to the derivatives, I think there's a place for everything. Um, for someone that has an account of six or seven hundred thousand dollars, unless you're like trying to become like super rich or whatever, you know, or you just like the futures, you know, if you got seven hundred thousand dollars, you got plenty enough money to make return buying stock. The problem is with you know buying buying stock. You know, if you only have five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, you're you're already knocked yourself down to you can only really buy thirty dollar, fifty dollar stocks. Um, because, you know, you won't be able to get enough volume to make any return. You know, if you got $1,000, you can't just buy SPYs. You'll, you'll own two, maybe three. So, you know, it goes up $5. You only make $15. So you basically are cut down to the smaller, you know, smaller price products, which are normally the not as good as uh, companies or whatever. And, um, but, but once you get up to where you built your account, you got $500,000, you got enough money to, if you want to open a hundred share position in pretty much anything you, you can, right? I mean, yeah, you have enough, um, you have enough money to get enough volume that your return will come in. So especially people who don't really, you know, keep up, don't want to keep up with the market news as much and that sort of thing. As, and as far as like time stuff goes, you don't want to have to try to guess on time and that sort of thing. You can just, you have enough volume where it'll work out. I was surprised that in a smaller account of a couple thousand dollars, he was talking about buying options. Well, he was um, just doing that for fun. Yeah, um, which is interesting. You know, he was definitely more involved and he has a, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, um, dividend, um, uh, what's his name um that we have yeah colin hayes yeah yeah um it's kind of like him where um you know even though they're kind of long-term strategists they're still very involved and it's nice yeah. to see it's nice to see that in a long-term investor part of that too is um may it probably would stay the same just talking to colin i think it would stay the same part of that is you know both um the stock parrot and colin have a pretty good following on twitter and collins is growing at an astronomical level he's you know he's getting content out of it so if he's not involved you don't really have the content from the twitter so i would assume he's making money you know from doing stuff on twitter and stuff like that too which helps his investing and that, that sort of thing but it it is kind of different, you know, Colin, you know, started with a smaller account and was building up through stocks and his method is the, the dividend stocks, which, and, you know, it is kind of, um, you know, it's kind of cool, especially, you know, watching his post, you know, kind of his mindset on things, you know, he calls it um, buying yourself a race. So if your boss is not giving you a race fast enough, just buy your own race. And he posts every month how much he makes in dividends. And the one cool thing about dividends and where you, you know, do the drip and you like reinvest in the stocks each month, you know, it's going up. So if you make $25 in dividends this month, next month, you're adding to that next month, you're making more than $25 and vice versa. So slowly over time. And I, I actually, so I have a dividends, uh, some dividend stocks in my thing. And I'm starting to build my dividend profile for more of a long-term especially if you're young. So like if you're 40, 45 years old, dividend stocks is probably not where you want to go if you're trying to, because you don't have as much, you know, time before retirement, you'd be better off doing growth stocks. But especially when you're young, if you allocate some money toward dividend stocks each time, 
it grows. So I put, um, you know, I normally try to each win uh, put a percentage back towards my long-term investments as well as I put um, every Thursday I put in a certain amount of money. That goes towards my long-term investments. Um, oh, where was I even at? But the dividends, you know, the goal with that would be over time to collect enough. And I think he actually, the sock parrot said he was getting at one point like $100,000 in dividends. See, that that's kind of the goal when you can, if you make enough dividends, that's like a, your normal salary, then you can retire early. You're making the same amount of money you was making and not doing anything. You've basically built up where you make the same amount of money that you was working without working. And that's, I think that's kind of the goal with a lot of the dividend investors is it's a way to retire early because you're really not losing any money off of it from retiring. You're just making the same thing you was making. Yeah, what's the uh, ETF that you like? I've seen a, a, like an article on so it. I have an, so I like that ETF. I actually traded out of that one and now I'm looking more at, the, I think there's more value as far as dividend value. After talking to Colin and you know doing some research, there's more value, I think, dividend-wise in just investing in the individual companies um, because you can also get more growth. The one I do like, the, um, the ETF is Noble. It's N-O-B-L. And basically, that's an ETF. Um, it has, in order to be in the ETF, you must be an SP500 company who, who has increased their dividends every year for 25 years in a row. So all the companies in there every year increase their dividend. So by investing in that, you're investing in the top tier companies who always increase their, their dividend. But it's a, again, it's a more safe play because it's kind of just moves with the S&P 500. Gotcha. But no, but, the, the O, com, like the realty income, that's a good one right now. Um you won't get any growth from it, but AT&T, as much as everyone hates the actual company, including myself, you'll get no growth from it at all. Um, now it's kind of down right now. So if you invested right now, you probably would get some growth over it, but you know, it, it gives like an 8% dividend, my dividend check. So I don't even have that big of a position. My dividend check for like um, October was like $28. So I mean they it's fifty they they paid fifty two cents a share, you know, pretty pretty far back in the future. So that's that's pretty high. I think Coke is like twenty three cents a share. So I mean that's fifty two cents for every share you have. They they're just giving you money. So I think you only right now you only need like fifty six. You need like fifty six shares that every time they give you a dividend you can just buy another share. But um, yeah, this has been a pretty long show. There was a lot to talk about. Good conversation. Um, thanks to anyone who who watched. Be sure to go follow the Stock Parrot on um, Twitter at Parrot Stock. Um, check out his um, his link his link tree page. That article, um, that guide, especially if you're starting out in content. I, I know me and John will definitely look at it. His guide's basically how to grow your Twitter following, so it, it's free. So you might as well um, read it. And then, um, you know, if you got, if you're feeling generous, you got a little bit extra to give, maybe you made a, a good trade. Maybe you bought a call option, made $400. Go ahead and throw $20 of that to his um, charity foundation. So 
is definitely be something good to, to look into. But um, thanks for watching. Um, John, do you want to do a show personally Sunday? If not, I'm probably going to opt out of us doing a show Sunday since we did a huge election show and we did this show because I'm, I'm actually leaving to go to Florida on Tuesday for about a week and a half. So I'll probably, you know, opt out to, you know, spend time with my wife or whatever. If you okay. want to do is if you want to do a show, you're welcome to, or like I said, we've, um, this week we'll have about six hours of show out. So yeah, I'm going to send you, um, the audio of the show and, um, of this one and we'll get that content send, up there. Yeah. So send this one first so we can get that out tomorrow. Um, but yeah, if you didn't get to check out our election show, I know that everyone kind of knows the results. That's really not what the show is about. We did announce results on there, but we'll, we're going to be putting up the full show, which was four hours long. Um, we had three. I might, I might we, we could split that to each guest, like just put up. I don't want to post it. No, no, no. I don't want to post it on the podcast as like as separate because we, when you do that, it kind of hurts your, your, Again, this is everyone getting a, out um, a look at our show. When you do that, it's going to hurt our um, our like statistics, you know, like our statistics, our um, metrics, because our average, you know, it's going to drive down our average viewership because now we have multiple more shows. So oh, okay, that's interesting. Viewership yeah, will be fine. better because even if they don't listen to the whole show, that counts as a, you know, that that counts on the same one. So we helps our average I got you. and everything's yeah. right there and it's already put together I, before i actually planned on splitting up parts of the show and posting it all as one episode but the show float like it was it was it flowed so like smoothly like i did not yeah, expect we had, that we had especially really where show. we were, yeah i figured us being on four hours and stuff there would be a lot of like dead air and stuff like that and it wasn't it was like very um you know it flowed perfectly we had three different guests on talked about all kinds of different industries we we talked um to them kind of about their trade and stuff like normal they were all guests that's been on the show before um but a lot of it was how they see um they see like their respective fields reacting to certain outcomes for the election and stuff like that so it, i think there's a lot of good information there so that'll be be up as well but yeah thanks for um thanks for listening to the show if you're not following us yet, follow us on Twitter at Swinging It. Um, subscribe to the Pivotal Trading YouTube channel, and um, be sure to check out the Pivotal Trading um, Discord as well. The more people that can check out, the more me and John um, can get paid. And we have decided, for at least right now, with our our the money we get from people joining the Discord and having the membership there, we're going to create a a trading account and try to teach everyone how to grow, um, to grow an account. So basically we're going to be starting from scratch, you know, with a hundred bucks or something, and we're going to try to grow that account out. So, you know, why would, why would you listen to us if you have no clue if what we're saying works? So we're going to try to show you basically. So we're going to start out with a very small amount of money, basically where we can do like one trade and um, try to grow the account up. So, yeah, definitely keep joining the Discord so we can use that money to help make more money and put out more content for you guys. But um, yeah, everyone, thanks for listening. John, play the music.